Hi everyone, welcome back to the latest episode of Dev Diary. We'll get into the usual spiel in a moment, but I just wanted to take just a moment to thank all of you. The dozens, hundreds, we started super small, there's hundreds, there's thousands of listens on this Dev Diary podcast now so far, and this is episode 50. So I really want to thank you, the listener, for having come aboard this journey so far to have given me your time on a fortnightly basis to indulge me in this this passion of mine to chase down stories of developers and their journeys and share their stories and experiences. It's been so incredibly valuable for me, a consumer of games for so long, to be able to learn about these people, to be able to talk to and interact with these people. And it's just this great pleasure that you are willing to come along in this journey with me. So I'm going to throw over to the usual intro now and uh, get this episode started. But just from the very bottom of my heart, a big thank you to all of you who listen to the show. And hopefully the next 50 episodes are equally as great with some more awesome guests to come. Enjoy this episode. See you later, guys. As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance and their successes or failures. There's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games, as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and ever in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Kitty Callis and Jan Willem Neiman, currently responsible for Disc Group, so join us as we explore their journey. So today I'm joined by JW and Kitty. How are you both? Good. How are you? Very yeah, well. Um, it's uh, early in the week. Uh, we've been, managed to put this together after a few emails back and forth, and I'm thrilled to be talking to you both. So thank you very much for coming aboard the show today. Thanks for having us. So this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and, and ultimately the journey that's led to this present day, and, and we cast a little eye forward to what's to come. But before we get to your experiences actually in the industry, I'd love to pick both of your brains to some of your first gaming experiences. Do either of you recall what your first games were that you played? Oh, yeah. Um, one of my first games was Prince of Persia. I oh. used to play with my mom. And like the thought of like having a game which you can only play for 60 minutes and you have no safe, safe games was like a pretty hardcore game to start off. But yeah. I really enjoyed playing it. I remember you telling me that if you didn't finish in time for dinner, your parents would like unplug the computer and stuff. So yeah, like that made it even harder. <laughs> extra difficulty. Yeah, it's like an extra yeah. mode that you can just turn on. <laughs> I, I think I have a lot of memories playing games that I wasn't allowed to play like Red Alert was too violent oh, okay. uh, and like Wolfenstein it was, we had like a family friend who would install games on our computer and there were a few that I wasn't allowed to play so those were like extra exciting so I would sneak off and play like <laughs> Red Alert or <laughs> Wolfenstein like anything with blood my mom didn't really like so like, a lot of cuts for PC those deep games. in the computer so no one could see them yeah, or, or folders upon like, folders. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I really grew up on um, PC games. I think. No, I mean they're for both of you. They're fantastic places to start. Um, how did your tastes kind of develop from there? Were there any particular uh, IP, or maybe sticking with Prince of Persia or Wolfenstein in both of your cases, or were there other franchises or or individual titles that you really latched onto and grew attached to over over your journey as you were growing up? 
I think around like 98, a bunch of games came out that I really fell in love with, like like Half-Life and Grim Fandango. And for me, that was kind of the time where I was like, well, video games are actually really interesting and cool uh, and not just, you know, any any form of entertainment that I would do to kind of get through the day. And I was like, wow, this, this game is really interesting and special and it's a cool story. Um, and then I think later I, I discovered indie games. I was making freeware games myself. I started at a very young age just for fun. And I, I found games like Cave Story and stuff. And I just fell in love. I was like, oh, one day I hope I'll be able to make, you know, like a, a game and put it online and people will actually want to play it. Uh, so it really started from quite a young age for me uh, like that. Was is, is Cave Story the one that you really kind of, I mean, you mentioned that might be just one example. Was, was that a particular game in, in your eyes that really attracted you to the development side? I, I think in the indie scene in general, that game was looked upon at the time, like, whoa, a single person made this game uh, from their home and, and that's even possible. And it was just so well, well made. I think it still holds up uh, today very Absolutely. well and it was just like it, it showed like wow it's actually possible to to make something like this uh, yourself um, I mean I actually don't think it's it's humanly possible like <laughs> the it feels impossible pulled up <laughs> something incredible uh, but yeah that was definitely like a huge inspiration and, and uh, something that got a lot of people at the time really excited like I, and I think really you could say that it's specifically cave story that that um there wasn't much like that at the at the time so it was super yeah, for cool sure. how about you kitty on your side so obviously as we mentioned you started with prince of persia but how did things develop from there um like i played all different kinds of games but i think the, the game that really showed me that they, the games could be different and like the games you had back in the day was journey uh, yeah, okay. for me for me it was like a moment where i sat down and like you got to play with someone else that you never like didn't know and like you could only like sing and like that way you could show players which direction you were going which i think was really interesting and like especially nowadays like coming from this room a game like uh, we worked on it's like it's a pretty intense game and for me like having something to like sit down and relax and like play something that's like easygoing is like those games it's like journey and like i recently played pilgrims which was really fun it's by amanita design and like i am dead it's like a fun exploration you love the game. really more mellow kind of yeah, yeah. That i mean it around for a long time it depends like i feel like when we were working on minute which is like a little more mellow we would play games that were like really a bit more like uh, action games or like right you can have to balance out what you're working on with something <laughs> yeah. more relaxed or, yeah. or more intense and i mean that there's there's a great place for that in not just game development but a whole host of different industries as well if you're working this really unrelenting job that just keeps you on your toes all the time you're, you're looking for something to decompress i guess um and i think you're right in what you said and journey was probably the one of the really key points in a lot of people's eyes uh certainly in my experience as well i i associated games with being not not all the time but mostly violent in some way uh there being some sort of really unrelenting pace or and even if it was something slightly slower like i don't know say a japanese rpg for example there was still that combative aspect to it so to for journey and it sounds like you and I are in a similar space there to really flip that notion on its head. Um, I think it was really important. And I think we're seeing more and more of those titles these days and it's fantastic to see. Yeah, it was definitely something special. 
Um, so with it was, how did your both of your journeys actually begin from there? So uh, obviously, JW, you mentioned that you got into you were kind of fiddling with games and look uh, from a very early age with some freeware titles and those sort of things. How did how did opportunities actually first emerge? Um, so I, I remember going to the library every week as a kid, and they had this uh, magazine called uh, Compu Kids, like Computer Kids. Yep. And I would read that every now and then because I kind of liked computers. And one day I saw an ad in it for a, a tool called Game Maker. I think I was like 11 at the time or something. Uh, and I managed to get a hold of it at some point and just started messing around. And there were, I had no, like my English was almost non-existent. So I really yeah. didn't understand the tools, but there were a few tutorials and example games and you could edit them. So there was one where you drove a car around and, uh, if you press the space bar, you honked. And I realized that I could make the honk the sound of a, a cow instead, you know, <laughs> and like that, making those little simple changes. Those were like literally the first games I've made. Um, but baby and steps. I just kept, yeah, it, absolutely. And I just kind of kept messing around with that just for fun every now and then. Like, like you know, I might, I might make a drawing or I might mess around with Game Maker. It was just kind of uh, for fun. And then when I was a bit older, like uh, 15 or something, I got back into it more seriously because now I understood English and I could actually, you know, read the, the manual and, and kind of learn how, yeah. how this stuff worked. And I just started putting uh, terrible little games online and I really haven't looked back since because, you know, we're still using, uh, you know, the newest version of Game Maker now. That's still the software we use to make our games. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of was lucky to find my my calling early in a way i think no that's fantastic um not many people do that again regardless of the profession they get into it's uh, you get more and more cases and we were talking before the recording that i'm that i'm a teacher and i speak to so many of my students and these are you know 15 16 17 18 year olds Uh, i teach students in their final year at the moment which is incredibly stressful for them with with everything that's going on Mm -hmm. this year but um and probably adds an extra layer of complexity to the whole situation that for them they just don't know what what to do um so uh, there's a few that obviously have made up their mind but by and large they haven't and that's that's a really intimidating thing for them and you do see the occasional student who's really made up their mind early they've got a goal in mind in fact one of my one of my year eights this year so he's well, 13 years old he he's actually decided he wants to get into game development so he's really latched onto me because he knows that i i work with I games and, and, and talk to developers and that sort of thing so he's trying to pick my brain all the time but it's it's really great to see when um, when someone really attaches themselves to something at such an early age, and maybe that mm-hmm. passion doesn't stick, you know. Um, but they, they've decide they've made a decision at that point, and they they've found that passion. They want to pursue it, and I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, t- totally. And, and I think in hindsight too, it's easy to say kind of, oh, I I knew I wanted to become a game developer, but it was more like I found something I really enjoyed doing. At the time and i didn't stop right it, it, when i was 15 and you would have told me i would have a career making video games i would be like oh wow you know it would have surprised me in a way uh, it wasn't that like hobby I really became a job. Be... yeah exactly it was just like I, f- I found something uh and i got lucky and uh you know now, now i'm here and Kitty, how did your first opportunities emerge? So, I mean, in both of your cases, there's an incredibly long list, and I've uh, I was jotting down names today to make sure there was nothing that I 
hadn't thought of the list of credits for the both of you is extremely long um and there's some really fantastic titles in there and you obviously worked on them in various different capacities but how like to to understand how the both of you actually got into the industry in the first place and how you both got started is i think a fascinating one so kitty how did that actually begin for you um, so I always wanted to be an artist, but my parents weren't quite on my side. So I studied okay. marketing and communications. And uh, from there, I like started working at a magazine uh, in the games industry. And after writing for games for quite some time, I knew I had to try it myself. So a little later down the line, uh, I started working on a game called Action Inc. Today, by you and I made together a minute. And then I worked on the game uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. And like... It's crazy to think that I've been running my own business for almost like six years now. I, I remember you told me that you went for looking for an internship from the marketing and communications thing at a, a snowboarding magazine or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So basically, I, I'm really into like snowboarding and the yep. kind of stuff. So there's this organization which was in the same building. And uh, I was there for lunch or something. I can't remember. And someone walked in and was like, hey, our uh, intern is leaving today. You want some cake and beers? And I was like, oh, sure. Like the next door office or <laughs> yeah. something. Yeah. I didn't even know them. So that's I actually how I got to know the magazine and ended up working there. No, that's, that's, that's a fantastic way in. <laughs> yeah. Like you never know how it's going to go, right? So how uh, you obviously mentioned that your parents weren't uh, overly enthused about the prospect of you getting into something with an artistic or with an art sort of background, um, when you did make that jump and actually get involved in the creation of games, and obviously there was there's some marketing components and those sort of things that you've done too, but when you actually got into the design and the creation and the art mm-hmm. side of things, how did that go down? Was that because they saw an endpoint? Did they did they feel better about that? Was it this, uh, this old then, school approach that games aren't going to get you anywhere sort of thing that might have... I mean, they're really proud. They're really proud right now. And like, I mean, I love my parents. It's just for me also. Like when someone says you can't do something, I just want to prove them wrong. (laughs) There's that too, yeah. That's fantastic. Now, for both of you, as I mentioned before, I listed an incredibly long, and obviously, Kitty, you mentioned a few of the titles there. Um, JW, uh, Vlambeer, so you're working with Rami. Where did did Rami uh, come into the mix? How how did that that meeting first emerge? And how how did the two of you... Uh, finally come together to create the the company yes so after when I finished high school I uh, went to a game design school because I just wanted to keep doing my hobby and have time for that in a way Um, that's where I met Rami we were in the in the same year I actually met him on the on the train to school and we both thought the other was like incredibly annoying like very different kind of people and uh, Rami um, had already worked on like uh, some games as well. He worked on a Space Sim series at the time. Uh, he helped out with that. And I'd been making my indie games. So we were both kind of people who already had a little bit of experience. And also, you know, throughout the first year, I kind of started to notice, oh, this guy does know what he's doing. Even though he's annoying, you know, I, re- I respect him. And he felt the same about me in a way. Um, That's good. After, yeah, after the, after the second year, we both just kind of, um, there was a, a bit of, you know, we were a bit annoyed with school and we, we wanted to start a, a company. Um, and I think timing-wise, it just coincided and we realized that uh, we would probably make a pretty good team at the time. I, I had made a prototype called Crates from Hell, which would become Super Great Box. And, yep. and Rami was like, all right, let's, you know, 
get this in a bit better shape and release it and, and make some flash games for money and, and see if we can pull this off. And it all sounded like, like the right step for me. And we did. Yeah. Now it's like 10 years later. And incredibly successful. Uh, there's a there's a large number of games there. And what, what interested me the most as I was, I, ha- I had both of your uh, kind of credits listed up there and I'm comparing and contrasting. I, I am seeing these moments and obviously where uh, this conversation is underpinned with Disc Room, which we're going to talk about in a bit more detail uh, shortly and uh, that being your, your current or upcoming release um, as of when we're recording this. But there are moments where the two of you kind of crossed over in, in the journey as well. Um, not necessarily in the same degree, but I, I mentioned, like, I've got Luftrausers uh, listed for both of you. Uh, I think there was a couple others as I scanned through the list here where there's, at moments your paths have maybe loosely crossed. Maybe you didn't actually meet in the journey. What, um, when did the two of you actually meet and development, like some sort of development partnership actually begin? So when I was working at the magazine, the W and I were actually neighbors. That's how we met. Oh, I used to right. like walk into his office yeah. and say like, hey, what are you working on? And like, is there anything I can like write yeah. about yet? Yeah, there, there was this big building in the center of Utrecht where a lot of game companies all worked. Um, and Rami and I had just started out and we had gotten a tiny office with like no outside windows. It was just like I think a it little... was illegal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was Natural like this small office. Yeah. Uh, and then... Across the hallway, there was this big office that had nice windows and a coffee machine and a fridge. And that's where Kitty worked with the, with the magazine. So we would often just hang out and, you know, we would go uh, organize some, some fun nights in the office as well together. We organized local multiplayer picnics together, which was just like we would play local multiplayer games. And Yeah, I think we were like all new in a building and it was a great way to like get to know each other. And like, because we're all in the same building and we have the same interest in like video games because everyone was like video game related, either it was like yeah. making audio for games or like studios. Yeah. Abbey games was there, Ronimo games at the, at the time. Uh, so it was just like a really good energy at the, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So it's like both the time that both of us started kind of professionally in games, you started a bit before me working at the, the mm-hmm. company, but it was kind of, we were both right at the kind of. At the beginning of our, our careers then yeah timing is everything oh yeah, yeah totally. luck all those sorts of things yeah um, and it's great when it all works out and as i mentioned before you've you've both kind of uh worked together you've worked separately you you keep seeming to bump into each other i guess is one way to put it but um yeah absolutely. how do those various different experiences uh each i guess because yeah, you've you've worked together on something like luftrausers but then you've you've gone in different directions you've come back I guess as you as you look at one another each time you come back together to work again, how do you see the partnership between the two of you and obviously others that you work with as well kind of developing? With are you seeing that growth, those experiences, and how it kind of rubs off on the other person? Yeah, I think it's just kind of natural natural to uh, because so many of the people we hang out with are creative to just yeah. want to collaborate and want to work together. And and throughout the years, you know, we jammed a few times. We uh, did that Adventure Time game jam back in 2012. And it's just like, hey, you want to do this jam together? Sure. And uh, we made a little game for that called Adventure Minute, uh, where you have like a one minute to go on an adventure, like one minute yeah. episodes. And um, we won that game jam. We actually won a, a, crossbow. a, a crossbow from Richard Garriott. 
Uh, the, the, okay. The, the, <laughs> yeah, the, it's like a weapon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We weren't allowed to ship it uh, back oh. to the Netherlands. It was so, a, a game jam in, in Texas. So where does it uh, sit today? So, so it ended up in the office of uh, Nigel Lowry, who works at the Volver. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, okay, right. And then, and then later we took that concept, and it became Minute. You know, so our whole life and and career is just like this weird series of coincidences. And I think, especially when you're like working on small games as an indie you're able to take those weird little opportunities because you're flexible and you can do smaller projects. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah I think some, sometimes people see that or think that making games is like a competition, but I really think it's not. I think it's more about like collaboration. And there's so many cool people in this industry that have amazing ideas and like finding those people and connect with them and making something beautiful is can be something truly special. Yeah, the, the same with... Uh, we've, we've, Terry and those who we're working on uh, Discord with, like, uh, we all go way back. You know, Terry and those made a bunch of games together. Um, we jammed with those on a few games. Uh, I worked on Gun Gods with him. Uh, so it's like. And then I don't Kitty, know. I think it, you worked with them on Sludge Life, is that right? As well? No, I didn't. Oh, no, didn't? but oh. I, got, I got to jam it like those a few times. And like, you know what? It we, is? It's like when opportunities come along, you just got to take we them. We did do the Dutch localization for Slice. Oh, we did. Oh, yeah, okay. we did. So, okay, that capacity, for, like, right. Now I'm with you. Okay. Um, that, that makes a bit more sense now because it was one of the many things listed there. I did see like uh, thanks or maybe special thanks listed next to the credits there. So yeah. I, maybe <laughs> I read into that a little bit too far. But uh, for both of you, there, as I mentioned, there's some games you've worked together on. There's other games you've worked separately. Do you have any particular favorites from the journey so far? Um, one that of the really games that I worked back on, on fondly? Really, yeah. One of the things that I worked on and really loved is like Minute um, because yeah. it's like such a personal project. Like they're like the games are made by people and like, telling the, the, the things you've come across in life is like sharing an experience with other people. And like the fact that people like play something and they can relate to it, it's like something really cool. Yeah, a, a lot of the inspiration for Minute was just weird little stories that we encountered as a team or, or people we met or places we visited. It was very much just like, let's take a lot of fun memories from kind of real real life in a way and, and put that into a game it was super super nice but i also really really enjoyed working on that and i think this one was really fun in a way too like you know like terry dose and i that we like we really share our love and passion for sci-fi movies yeah. and like because but some are just like too good and like taking that like feeling when someone is like in this weird environment and they have to figure out what's going on and like what weird things are gonna happen is like Putting that into a video game is just so fun. Yeah, it's like when you've always loved something and you finally have the perfect project to to put that love into. It's really great. Yeah, it's great when it all works out like that. And again, like your minute example, um, just the, the stories that even underpin those, uh, whether it's the personal history or just the, the crazy events that transpire that lead to these things, I think they, they must be incredibly exciting to be a part of. And then when when the penny drops and you realize, oh, this this is the key concept here that I can apply to this, this game idea and, and actually it becomes something. And again, Kitty, you, you put it really uh, perfectly before it becomes something really beautiful when you get these right minds and the right ideas all coming together. It must be a fantastic feeling. Yeah. I feel like I'm really lucky to have a team that's like so good and like what they're doing and like making it all work too. Yeah. I think that's something we noticed like in early jams and then doing minute and uh, discord is that we're, we, we kind of work together really well for design things, like bouncing ideas off each other and kind of 
Katie sets the bar really high often, and I'm like, oh no, it's too difficult. And then, and then, but then, you know, we together, we we. I have this thing with the W. Out. Like in every project, there's one thing that I always feel is like worth fighting for. In like a minute, it was like a submarine. Little spoiler though, but like, <laughs> at some point, you unlock like a laboratory, and you go from one side to the other. And originally, the W wanted to make it a tunnel, and I was like, oh, it would be so cool if it was like a submarine. And I made a submarine, and it felt so silly, but because it was so silly, it was fun. I was like, no, it's too, too much work. <laughs> we can just put a tunnel there, and that's fine. And Kitty was like, no, we need to have a submarine. And I'm I'm really happy that we have a submarine. <laughs> so she was right. <laughs> no, I mean, it's fantastic when those things work out. Now, Kitty, and you, you mentioned the game before yourself. Um, there, there's a, All the games we've mentioned so far are indie titles. But there's one that really sticks out like a like a sore thumb in comparison. Um, it's a fantastic title. I adore it. It's one of my favorites of this most recent console generation. But Horizon Zero Dawn really stands out compared to the other titles in terms of what it is, the scope, the scale, all those sorts of things. What was that like having worked on uh, smaller titles with smaller teams to then all of a sudden having been a part of uh, Guerrilla and working on Horizon Zero Dawn? Well, it's been like the total opposite, which is really fun. I, I mean, like m- both Minute and Disc Room are made by just a few folks. They made it easy to experiment in Horizon. I mean, it's bigger teams and workflows and like multiple. You had how many teams? Like, I mean, in total, back then there were like 150 people on like Horizon. And now it's like, I think they hired Double? a lot more people. Really? Yeah, maybe even more. I think like around 400. Cool. Um, but yeah, like we didn't the team or within uh, Guerrilla Games, there are like multiple departments that help like style and mock up and not to forget like design areas that are carefully thought through. And I think it's really important to uh, get familiar with the game and understand your design limitations. I, I always felt like you really wanted to see every single side of the industry. You know, I started out with press, you did marketing, you, you produced, you worked in AAA, you worked in indies, you've done art, you've done design. Um, I think you're going to learn programming next. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the best way to make a video game or understand how games are made is by doing it all yourself, right? Yeah. No, I think those those skills, that knowledge is invaluable. And again, regardless of the profession, to to explore all different aspects of something can only make the person a more rounded, um, in this case, game developer, and only uh, serves the benefit of the final product, I think. So I think that's uh, fantastic. Um, and yeah, Kitty made all the robots. <laughs> no way. Oh, that, no, claim them. They're fantastic. You definitely want to claim all of them. <laughs> no, it wasn't just on me. It's, it's on the internet now. Everyone knows. No. That's <laughs> um, so from there, uh, I'll, I'll bounce back to Vlambeer. Now, September this year, uh, there, was a, there was an announcement that uh, the company was not going to be any long any longer how did mm-hmm. how did that come to be um the, and obviously everything is documented and if people want to read there's, there's like i was pouring through the uh the twitter thread earlier today there's there's other articles and bits and pieces out there about it as well but how did how did that happen was it was it very sudden did you feel like it was coming for a while was it this um so predetermined so even- okay we we need to review things after a while and see if it's still feasible to keep doing things the way we are how did, how did things get to that point so, so from right from the start, Rami and I always said, all right, we're going to give this a shot, do it for five years, see if it works out, you know, because we knew starting a company was difficult. We knew that, you know, we uh, were very different people, um, but also we knew we could 
hopefully make some some cool games together. So we just said, all right, let's give it five years. And then after five years, we had just, I think, finished early access for Nuclear Throne. Yeah. Uh, the game was out, and we were exhausted. So it's like, all right, five years, whatever. I just need to take a break uh, and kind of, you know, recover. Uh, Understandable. So. Yeah. Um, but we we had made a bunch of really cool games, and um, so we both took some time to do our own thing. Rami really started focusing more on kind of his the ambassador side of what he's doing, like yep. representing uh, representing underrepresented groups of developers and stuff. Yes. Uh, and I, I worked on Minute with uh, Kitty and Dom and Yukio. Um, and after that, Rami and I kind of got back together, and I think we both really. Um, learned you know we we recovered well from nuclear throne we we kind of were better people in a way like i definitely worked on my work-life balance and kind of learned how to make games uh in a more sustainable, sustainable way yeah like minute yes. was a really kind of leisurely project which was great um so rami and i came back together and we're like all right we feel good let's do another game together let's make a bunch of small games um and we started working on ultra bugs which is still releasing uh, yep. it's like the the final Vlember game, in a way. Um, Do we have an ETA for that one at this point? Uh, I, I not, wouldn't not dare tell you. No, that's fine. <laughs> I appreciate that. It, it, it's close, though. But uh, the the thing that kind of happened is that with Vlember, we also realized that we kind of lost that early momentum, in a way, where we could still make cool stuff together. But also, everything was just... Because we had changed and worked, we realized that we shouldn't work under such high pressure um Flamber didn't really function in the same way either right because maybe yes. we needed that pressure to kind of work together really well and also Rami and I we always worked very independently we saw each other maybe a few times a year in person uh, okay. while working on the Kirtron and we didn't need to communicate much our responsibilities didn't overlap and we just kind of grew further and further into letting each other do our own thing and in a way, by shutting down Vlam right now, we're giving each other like the ultimate space to just do our own thing. So, um, and collaborate just with feels... more people to cycle back yeah, to the exactly. sort of epic things and, we've discussed so far. Yeah, yeah, and I think we're both going to keep doing really cool stuff, and it it feels really, it feels like the right step, right? It doesn't feel like it came out of nowhere, uh, but it's also not something we planned. Like Rami and I literally had a, a meeting scheduled like two weeks before our ten year anniversary, and we were like should we just shut down the company? And we were both like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's get everything in order and 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 do that. And it was just kind of a, uh, not premeditated, really long ahead or something. It was just like, it feels right now. Let's do it and, and start doing it. Right off into thing. the sunset. Yeah, and, and I love that we're able to end a game company that way. You know, that doesn't happen very often. Often it's like bankruptcy or a big fight or you know some scandal and here it's just like all right we did 10 cool years let's let's call it a day so is this like the the journey of actual game development as well where it's just this calm relaxing zen conclusion in this particular case um i don't know it's definitely I, I, the, the I'm, stre- I'm stretching it a little, i'm stretching it a little bit there but <laughs> no no but i i think uh nowadays that's kind of how i want to make games like in a kind of chill sustainable way where everybody's kind of happy and able to do what they want um very often this industry is really intense there's a lot of crunch there's a lot of people being kind of mistreated our workers not getting credit yeah. uh, 
so we're like very heavily against that um and if if we can be kind of an example of how to make indie games in a sustainable chill manner like uh heck yeah <laughs> yeah no, i mean for even a studio to come uh, come to an end and still do it in the most respectful um responsible way possible it only serves to be a good example for people i think yeah i mean like if you're tired by the end of the day after your work like what's the point like we're making entertainment in the end so might as well have some fun along the way yeah yeah like how, how can you make fun stuff if you're not you know if you're not happy fun, and having fun yourself? yeah totally so we'll we'll cast our eyes to disc room which as of when this podcast goes live the game is out so congratulations to both of you on the release as of the time we're recording this I've, I've spent a couple hours with the game so far i am just very early days um it's it keeps me on my toes that's for sure we were discussing uh before before we started recording some particularly extreme levels at different points there that really just blow the eyes wide open and there's a few there that really caught me off guard with oh my god how am i gonna how am i gonna navigate <laughs> this but for anyone who uh, is listening who isn't familiar with the game and i did have terry and doze on before oh, a couple months couple months ago at this point we did discuss it in uh fairly basic detail because we were talking mostly about sludge life at the time they they released back uh, a few months back let's dive into discrim a little bit for anyone who's not sure what actually is discrim so discrim is a sci-fi narrative touch map made with terry and those and in like in short you step in the shoes of a brave scientist and explore an intergalactic slaughterhouse and you might think it's like a simple arcade game, but it's structured in a really unique way. Yeah, like totally. So at its core, you have rooms filled with saw blades and you survive. You know, that, that's kind of, we wanted to take a very simple concept and, and build the whole game out of yeah. that. I mean, often in video games, dying is like a bad thing, but in this room, it's the way forward. It's like you're supposed to die and it's really is like what kills you makes you stronger yeah well once we realized that like in this room it's not a game about survival it's about death and and when you die it's when you unlock doors it's when you uh gain new abilities it's how you progress um so it starts you know you're in this in, in this room in a spaceship and there's a few doors and one of them might say survive for 10 seconds which is pretty straightforward but then yeah. very quickly it becomes stuff like die from 15 different disc types or, you know, way more cryptic kind of sci-fi mystery stuff. So we really have that kind of gotta catch them all feeling where you want to <laughs> die from every different type of disc. You know, you have this big log, kind of your your Pokedex of discs <laughs> where you're trying to, to find them all. So um, it's, it's the so po- it's, Pokemon, Pokemon of death. Okay, I, I can get around that. Yeah, Pokemon <laughs> it's a nice of pitch. death. That's way shorter. That's great. <laughs> I'm going to steal that one. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. In a way, it's a bit like Minute, where you explore first and then you plan and execute it. Yeah, you kind of. I think it, it's a game that looks very simple at first glance, but as you get into it, you know, more and more layers kind of unfurl. And we never really explain those to the player. It's just something you gotta you gotta experience. Yeah, I mean, I'd actually wholeheartedly agree with it. So when it, when the game first was debuted and trailers started to emerge, I looked and like, okay, I can see. I can see some Meat Boy here, a Super Meat Boy, in terms of you know the the regularly dying and even just hints of the aesthetic there. But then, actually getting to play it myself, um, and also speaking to Terry and Doze a little while back, I I came to realise a lot of the things that you're talking about there, where there is it's not just simple rinse and repeat or bash your head against a wall until finally you execute in a certain way. It's there's there's a lot of 
um, you need to pay attention to the environment. Pay attention to what uh, what's being expected of you. There are some little mysteries that you need to unravel. It does require you actually think a little bit more and in, in a different way than just mm-hmm. simply getting yourself in a zone and executing and you know or trying until something works. Um, and I really appreciate that. Cool. Yeah, if you think about it for a second, Discom has like this ridiculous premise. It's like a giant disc appears in space filled with rooms and saw blades. And like, I think there is really one big question and the question is like, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Typically, yeah. And the, the game kind of tries to hint at that and answer that. And um, I don't know, it was just a blast making it. Um, we always talked at the start as a team about like, we want to make the the pizza margarita have video games i mean it's yeah. so simple and you only need like a few ingredients but when you mess up and pizza margarita can also be like one of the worst pizzas right yeah but when it's done right i think it's it's probably my favorite pizza you know it's just like simplicity done really well that, that's what we execution. were that was our, our goal kind of yeah <laughs> totally no that's um, uh, that's that's fantastic um I, I can't get enough of it though. Like I've only I've only had a couple of hours, uh, as we said before, but I I just want to pick the teeth out of everything. I want to see what's kind of around. Every, like, are there uh, little hidden tricks here? Is there is there some optimal way that I can approach this? I'm really enjoying the depth to the game. Yeah, and, and that's it is deceptive. Really great. As you mentioned before, like the the concept at a surface level, as you mentioned, a giant disc appears in space. Why? does seem really really simple but it's just not <laughs> yeah it's also just really funny to us to take it kind of at face value right like this is this is just happened it's it's the, it's a fact and and we're going to take it kind of seriously in the game because it's funnier even you know yeah um and it just also gets you that great kind of sci-fi feeling of like what is this space you know like like kitty said that earlier as well i think we're like what what's going on and there's just so many great movies that inspired us, like, and and we can put all of those vibes in there, you know, like like from Alien to Space Odyssey to even Horizon, like anything we like, we can just take the little bits that are great. Yeah, some are just too good. Oh, you can't pass them up. Um, <laughs> anything goes. So, for both of you, and as we mentioned before, your your journeys have gone separate ways, and they've come together. Is there anything that the both of you can talk about? And I know this room is only now just come out, so it seems kind of crazy to be kind of casting our eyes ahead already to what's next. But are there any upcoming projects that uh, the both of you are in a position to talk about? Uh, obviously, we've, we've mentioned uh, Ultra Bugs before, so that's that's one of them, but we can't talk about a date for that yet. And that's that's I appreciate that. Um, are there any plans between the two of you on a, on a new project? Are there other projects announced that you can talk about already? I mean, I always have like this list of things that I want to be doing and making. And this year I got the opportunity to make some art uh, for the New York Times together with the W, Dom and Yu-Gi-Oh! And I kind of want to turn that art piece or that concept into like a game and release it for charity. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I, f- I think Kitty and I will be working again, I hope. I don't know if you agree, but like after this room, I mean, we're like, all right, we make a pretty good team. Uh, let's see, you know, let's do another one. I think it will be exciting. But, you know, right now it's just like this room's coming out. We need some... Uh, some time to sit back. And yeah, relax. just yeah. enjoy it, right? Yeah, totally. Enjoy and I mean, the pizza margarita. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I guess there is that, you know, what finding the right idea where it makes sense for the two of you to bring your respective skill sets together um, in the right way. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we're never short of ideas. There's like a waiting line of ideas in our heads. Of like, oh, that makes it nice and easy. Are we, 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 we <laughs> going to make next? So like, you know, especially whenever we're really busy um, or like, you know, have to do some important work, like like there's a deadline for the localization yeah. and the text needs to be final. That, that's when my brain starts going, ooh, you know what would be a fun game to make? And just start <laughs> thinking about something. It's like game design as kind of procrastination. Um, yeah, you, you know what it is? Starting games is so much fun. It's like finishing them is really hard. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's not even a motivation thing. It's uh, an, ex an excitement for what's next that just takes the mind in different places and you start wondering it's it that's yeah, actually yeah. a story i've heard from a few people that have come on the show so far and um it's it's a really fascinating one because i i guess it's a lot a lot of these very creative sort of mediums whether it is video games or or other similar sort of spaces there where it's a bit it's easy for the mind to wander and start to explore what's next even though there's still a, a job at hand for want of a better phrase yeah, no, totally. like it took a day and a half to come up with this game in a way. Uh, and then it took a year and a half to figure <laughs> out how to make that and how it would actually work as a, as a game, you know? Uh, so it's like, uh, ideas are, are never the problem in a way. Yeah, it's it's get, uh, getting the time, getting the resource and getting the right people together to actually make it a reality. Yeah, totally. And, and I think for, for this game also, a lot of the challenge was kind of figuring out how to make it work. Um, it really kind of all clicked together when we realized it was about dying and not necessarily about surviving, but yeah. even just really, really obvious things like in, in this room, you never walk through a door when uh, the gameplay is happening. You know, you, you can never walk through a door while discs are bouncing around. It's always either when you're dead or after you've just finished kind of a boss fight. And yeah. in hindsight, that is really obvious, but that kind of stuff took a while to design and figure out like, oh, actually this makes sense and this feels elegant and this is not um, kind of confusing towards the player. And yeah. um, I think there, when you make something really simple, actually that it becomes really difficult because... You can't hide anything. Yeah, you can't hide anything. It just yeah, it needs forces to be your hand in some respects. Yeah, totally. So as we begin to wind things down, I'll cycle back more to the both of you specifically as opposed to the games. For both of you out there, is there anyone out there that you you look at, maybe you've even worked alongside this person or people, that really inspires you in the way you approach your development? Mm, good question. I don't think there are people in particular, but I admire people that would take chances. I think you have to be really brave to go after your dreams. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say the disc room team, but that would be really cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> Aww, um, <laughs> but I mean, no. you're bu building a very good track record, a lot of you. So I don't blame you whatsoever. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I I, I always really uh, kind of admire the people who work in a really kind of nice, easygoing manner and, and are able to articulate kind of how they make things. Like like Derek Hugh yes. recently has just been sharing his process with Spelunky too. And, it's like a recent example of just, you know, so he has such clarity of thought. Like for, for me, the way I think it's a mess, you know, I have a very hard time putting it into words and, and with the help of a team, I can put it into a game at the very least. So like seeing that is really inspiring and, and cool. And do you, do you look at ways like how can I, do you look to try and replicate that um, in some ways, that, that clarity or 
is it more about I'm just gonna I'm gonna harness the weight like I've got a way that I do things it's working the results are there in the titles you've played uh, put out so far do I still try and harness that or are you still looking to pull on those sort of influences and try and try to bake them into the way you go about your work uh, so I think for every project I, I like to set kind of goals at what do I want to improve at and uh, sometimes that's in the game where it's like oh you know like let's make a, a high-res game like like this room is the first high-res game that I've programmed for example yeah, okay. uh, which is a very kind of direct example or, or maybe it's like oh we want to do more with storytelling but uh, I also often set those goals for development like with minute kitty and i both are like all right we're gonna do this in a really chill kind of no crunch manner and and this room as well and those are things you can carry forward to future projects as well so it's always important to keep growing yeah. i think yeah and i think with making a game having restrictions or having to have something you can hold on to can be really helpful while making a game because you can always rely on those rules you make yeah totally yeah they underpin everything everything else yeah, yeah. Whenever we were lost with this room, we just had to think about pizza. And... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I need to be a part of this. There's a lot of pizza talk going on, and I'm starting oh, to feel totally. quite hungry. Well, what's your favorite pizza? Oh, for me, uh, this this is going to potentially upset half of the internet, um, or maybe even more than half the internet, I'm not sure. Uh, the Hawaiian so ham and pineapple. Nice. Yeah, I think you're very brave. <laughs> am, am i in good company here do you both agree with me is it a good pizza or i mean it has like sweet and savory like what else could you want keeps the palate yeah. on the toes right yeah it's like dessert and dinner in one yeah i'm not gonna judge people for what they <laughs> eat oh good if it I'm makes you happy <laughs> i'll just wait till the tweets come raining in from a whole bunch of other people listening to the show today telling me how you can, wrong you, I can, am. you can bleep it out right <laughs> oh yeah uh, we'll replace it with margarita <laughs> <laughs> So what have been some of the most valuable experiences or lessons that you've both picked up over the journey? Oh, wow. Mm. That's a really Good question. difficult question. Is, is there long, anything you really look right? back, back on in particular that really helped guide you in some way? Maybe even just something someone said that's really impacted I mean, you. I, I think one of the valuable lessons I've learned is like finishing games matters. Like there's so like like I said, jamming is so much fun, but you actually have to finish games yep. because each game is so different, and you learn so much along the way, which you can like take onto like your next projects and your next and next and next. Yeah, um, I I agree with that. And for me right now, I also want to uh, kind of do this. Like I, I've realized this is probably what I'm going to be doing until I'm old. You know, if I can release this, a game with a small team every few years, I'll be, I'll be really happy. Um, and you know, it's just all those tiny little improvements and things and people you meet and opportunities you get and, and a lot of luck definitely. Uh, and, um, it just all adds up. I don't know. It, yeah. It's kind of, also for us, like we've been doing this for maybe, you know, about 10 years now. And that's kind of the earliest point where you can kind of start looking back. It feels like, like, oh, you know, we have history in this industry in a way. Because 10 years is not that long, right? Um, but it does feel very long sometimes when you look back at it. So it's like an interesting point to, to be at. Like ask us again in, in another 10 years. Oh, I'll make sure to get you back on the show if you like, and we can we can uh, yeah, we can schedule. <laughs> we'll just we'll just check in every few years. It'd be perfect. Nine, 9 a.m. on a Tuesday. Exactly. Yeah, 2030. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Let, let's do that. 
Um, so, uh, slightly more out there sort of question. Um, total scope and creativity to say, well, whatever you like here. If there was any game that you could be credited for as having been involved with in some way, shape, or form, now it doesn't have to be at the very top of the tree and be the the great mind behind it. Maybe you're just there special thanks, or you implemented one particular feature of a game that you just think is so incredible. What game would that be? Um, so the WNI used to have uh, this uh, exhibition and workspace in the back of a coffee cafe, and basically yeah. people that like go there for a coffee or like for some lunch uh, used to like walk into our office and say like, "Hey, what is this?" We had like prints on the wall with like games from Proteus and Journey and all yes. different kinds of games. So they basically got like interested into like the prints, and then hearing that it was actually a video game was something that they never thought of, which I think was great. But from that place, uh, people like Sock Pop were working. And, and that's basically how they all started. It was for them, it was like a trial to like have a company and see how they all work together and see if they could cook anything on the ground. And now they actually have a Patreon where they get like 5,000 euros or months or something. <laughs> Ridiculous. So I don't want to claim credit for it, but it's like, it's something- All that's... the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like it's something that started in like a space you were running, which I think was pretty cool. Yeah. Um... Is there, is there any one particular game though that's ever so you ne- you weren't at all responsible for it in any way shape or form but you just wish that you could have been I would have just loved to have been a part of this project because it's just so yeah. incredible and it just it's such maybe, a maybe it was a massive inspiration for you question because the games I love I wouldn't dare ask credit for because yeah. you know like like they would be different games then and also very often the things you work on um you know everything, so it feels very different to play them, and you don't have the same kind of magical, new, fresh eyes experience. So that's as a really fascinating. That's a really fascinating look at it. It's not one that must, uh, that I've given thought to, and not not something that anyone else has really raised either so far, because they've always gone, oh, "I have this dream game," or "I love this one aspect of." Uh, one a game that tends to pop up fairly often is Bioshock, um, and you know I love this one core component of it. I wish I could have done this or that. I don't think anyone's actually su- su- uh, stood back and said, well, no, actually, I'd rather not because then it would fund- potentially uh, change the entirety of the project or that one aspect is not something that I would have done myself and so it wouldn't have come to be. That's that's a really yeah. great way to look at it. So uh, thank you for that. I think, yeah, and no, I'm just trying to think of games that I, I almost liked, you know, so I, I could maybe help fix them. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. I, I always feel really bad taking credits for something that I didn't do. No, that's fair. Yeah. I can appreciate that. Uh, I don't so, know. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll make a Far Cry DLC one time. That would be fun. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll look out for that one. We'll talk about that in 10 years. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. So la- last question before we deal with the social medias and all those sorts of things. Uh, if you could... So you've obviously had experience with lots of different games over the journey. Uh, if there was one game that you've played that you could just wipe your memory of that game and re-experience it from scratch, you know, experience it again completely fresh, what would that game be? Probably something story-driven because I feel like if you have a story-driven game, it's something you can only play once before it gets spoiled, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe it would be fun to do one of the games that we made, actually. So for a minute, <laughs> you can guess... play that from scratch. That would be fun. Uh, or I mean, maybe I fast. I really loved Fez, and yeah. kind of it has it has does that thing that we try a little bit with this game where you play the game and you think you understand it, and then suddenly you Just realize like, everything you've already visited has kind of this hidden, hidden layers, double meaning. 
uh, which is really lovely. So, so that might be a good one. That's a good choice. I don't know. Um, Kitty, did you have a particular choice in that one at all that you could just, or are you much, much the same with Fez? And no, yeah, I agree in that one. I think Fez is really fun. Like little spoilers, but the fact that you can complete it more than a hundred percent is always fun. Yes. So, no, fa- fantastic choice uh, for both of you. Uh, so as we wrap things up, as we mentioned before, uh, Disc Room, as of when this podcast goes live, is available now to buy uh, Steam. It's on Switch. I think that's it. If I'm, if I'm correct. Yeah, I think. I yeah, think so. yeah, we're a small DC team, so we felt that it's like great to focus on like one platform at a time. I, I was about to say I'm, I'm not sure, but. That, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so if. Anyone listening today wants to uh, catch up with the both of you, learn more about you, reach out to you in some way, uh, where would they be best to go? Discroom.com. I think yes. it has everything you need, like assets, Twitters. Trailers, yeah, links to every individual individual team member. So, Oh, fantastic. Discroom.com. That's awesome then. Uh, so make sure to visit the, uh, the website, guys, and catch up with uh, both these two fine guests, but as you mentioned, uh, Dose and... Uh, Terry as well, and many, many more. So thank you both very, very much for coming on the show, sharing your story, your experiences. As you mentioned before, look forward to doing this in 10 years and talking about everything else. Yeah, that's since. <laughs> on a Tuesday. Uh, on a Tuesday in October, hopefully without a pandemic. Perfect. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be very nice if that's not the case. Um, but thank you both very, very much for coming on and sharing your story. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us on the show. Yeah, it was great talking to you. And good luck to both of you with whatever is to come. Some of these really cool projects, uh, obviously Ultrabug's still to come, TBD, but I'm looking forward to that uh, and anything else that might come down the road. Thank you. Thanks. And listeners, as always, thank you much for listening. I will see you next time. Yes, 2030. <laughs> <laughs>